Well, good morning, church. Again, my name is Phil. I'm one of the pastors on the team. It's, it's good to see you. I'm so glad that you've chosen to spend some of your, your morning with us, whether you are uh, someone who comes weekly, whether you're back after a little bit of a break, whether you're just watching us online, you are welcome and you are part of this community. And we would like to know who you are. So there's some QR codes dotted around the room. It's on the screen. If you're, particularly if you're joining us online, we would love for you to fill out that and just let us know that you exist. Because if you're online, we don't know you exist and we would like to. And Marcy would love to get in touch with you. So if you're watching this, maybe live, maybe at another point in time during the week, we would love to get connected with you and know that, uh, that you are joining us, you're part of this community, and we'd love to, to make that even more real for you, especially if you're joining us virtually. Well, this is the second week of, of Advent, and we're, we're walking through an Advent together, which is a time of, of waiting, a time of waiting the arrival, the Adventus, the arrival of Jesus um, over the next few weeks. And, and we're doing that um, by using an Advent wreath, which, as I said last week, this is not a, a scriptural thing. You won't find this. Jesus never lit a weird wreath with, with greenery around it. That It wasn't a thing. But it is something that has been a tradition for generations, since like the Middle Ages, very, very long time. And it's just a way, it's just a marker. It's a way for us to just think and take a second to think about this season of waiting for the arrival of Jesus. And, and we use that wreath as kind of the never-ending love of Jesus, the, the everlasting nature of God, much like a wedding ring, like a, the, the never-ending of a circle is really helpful um, pictorially. And then there's five candles. The last one we'll, we'll light on Christmas Eve, so do join us for that. And last week we lit the hope candle, and we, we reminded ourselves of the hope that Jesus brings at Christmas. And this week, the second candle is a candle of faith. And we think about, and it's kind of great to do with child dedication, as, as they begin a journey of faith, and as we disciple them into a, into a journey of faith, we remember the faith of those that have gone before us, the shoulders of whom we stand upon, the people that had faith before Jesus, the generations upon generations that has gone and will go on, um, and we kind of are partners with that. We're part of that, that family that crosses time and space in many ways. So um, I'm going to read from Isaiah, and as I do, Sam is going to light that candle for us. Um, you can stay seated. It's quite long. I'm told there's eight slides, and they've told me this about six times because last week it, it went a little bit wrong, and I, and I, you know, so here we go. Here we go. I'm ready this time, I promise. Isaiah 11, starting at verse 1. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance, nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear, the cub and the calf will lie down together, and the lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in the nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with the people who know the Lord. Amen.
Um, I should, probably should have introduced myself earlier, but my name is Logan. I have the privilege to be a lead pastor here at LMCC. Uh, in my weekly email, I said the church is better when you're here, and you proved it, um, because by showing up, which I know for many of you is a courageous act in the midst of this season, and I just want to acknowledge that and just say that it's good to see your faces. It's good to hear your voices. Um, it's a joy to worship with all of you. Uh, before I begin the second message for Advent, um, I'd like to pray. And so I just want to invite you to pray with me. Uh, Jesus, Advent is all about um, putting our hope in you and returning, for some of us, to that hope that we might be rid of the distractions, that we might be comforted in the disappointments, that we might be able to dream again of the promises of your coming. And so I ask that you would do that today. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, as Phil mentioned, we are in a season of Advent. You know, every Christmas is something our society returns to celebrate, and New York becomes magical and a delight. Uh, but before we get there, the church calendar begins with Advent. It is this weeks leading up to Christmas that is supposed to put us in the same kind of excited anticipation that kids have for Christmas morning. For the nation of Israel, what that first Advent was about was that they had been told generation after generation that a king was going to come and a king was going to set them free from every pain that they experienced, every frustration that they saw, every disappointment that they experienced, and would reign over them with peace where they had been oppressed politically time and time again. And so they were desperate for a king to come and establish the nation of Israel as the dominant nation over all other nations, believing that that would be good for the world. And then Jesus shows up, and they begin to think, it's finally time. But Jesus begins to talk about a different reason why he came. Yes, he wanted to establish a kingdom, but it wasn't about one political nation rising up above another. That he was actually after a kingdom that would destroy the greatest powers of darkness that caused all the pain and the frustration and the disappointment and the tears and the oppression. That he was coming to strike at the heart of what he calls sin, which is this rebellion against God against his order, against his ideas, against his ways. Because every political force that is bad and evil is born in the human heart of evil. That it's just sin becoming systemic. And so he couldn't just establish a new nation. He couldn't just establish a new political order. He wasn't after that. He was after a transformation of every human heart and soul. So that in transformation, he could fill that human heart and soul with himself. That he came and then he died, not a king's death, but a criminal's death. So that he could resurrect over death. Because he knows that every form of rebellion that you and I take cause little tiny versions of death. That our sin causes death in the form of disease, physical impairments, 
and ultimately physical death. That our rebellion causes death in relationships, separation of friends, separation of spouses, separation of father and son, mother and daughter. That at the core of the issue is not a political ruler. The core of the issue is what's going on in the human heart. And so he died to kill that. That he could be buried, the power of it could be buried in a tomb. And then when resurrected, we see an empty tomb. That the power no longer has to reign over you, but his power could reign inside of you. And in so doing, he wanted to remake the world. That was the first advent. And we stand in the middle of the first advent and another advent. Because the promise is that he will come one day in full and then he will reign over all things. And then there will be no more sin and pain and tears and disappointment. But we're still waiting. But what I have wrestled with in the waiting is that I don't have that excited anticipation all the time. I have a lot of disappointment most of the time. Because I don't see the reign of Jesus out there. And I don't see the reign of Jesus in my own life as much as I want. And so my desire today is to challenge you as I'm challenging myself. That this Christmas season, I would celebrate Christmas like the children that we saw in front of us. That I might return to this magical hope. That one day in an instant, all the gifts of God would be mine. The way that Christmas morning, all the gifts are theirs. See, my encouragement to you today is that you would celebrate Christmas like children. That you might remember what it was like to anticipate on Christmas Eve what Christmas morning might be like. Or if it wasn't a great Christmas morning, anticipate what you wished it would have been like. But how do you do that? Well, I want to return to the passage that we read for child dedication. Because what we're talking about is Jesus came into the world first as a child. Not the Matthew 18, the Matthew 19. I'll get to the Matthew 18 in a little bit. I want us to read it again, and I want you to see who Jesus was frustrated with and who he was most delighted in. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. All right, there's three groups. There's the disciples, the parents, and the children. And there's a group that Jesus is most frustrated in. And there's a group that he's most delighted in. And what I want to challenge and encourage you is to move from being those Jesus is most frustrated in to live in this space where Jesus is most delighted in you. And he's most frustrated with the disciples. See, this, this passage is told elsewhere, and it says that though they scolded others, he rebuked them. He says, don't stop them. He said, why are you a hindrance? Why are the disciples always a hindrance? Jesus recruited them to be his helpers. To be the ones that help people experience the kingdom of God. And time and time again, they are the hindrance. 
And over the last 20 years of ministry, that is the most common conversation I have with everyone who doesn't know Jesus. I had it last week. I have it every time someone finds out I'm a pastor. Here's what they say. I like Jesus. I actually believe there's something supernatural in the world. I don't know if it's Jesus or if it's consciousness or if it's something else, but I'm not really down with the church because of all those Christians. <laughs> and I agree most of the time. Now, what they're doing is they're only zooming in on one piece of the picture, right? The negative. And man, we have given a lot of ammo to the world, have we not? Especially over these last few years. Especially as we have joined like Israel did with political powers, hoping that our better morality might join up with the political party and then, woo, it's going to be better for everyone. Instead, it's better for no one. No one. See, there are these negatives that people experience in us. And what it has led to is a large group of people participating in what has become known as deconstruction. Time and time again, I have conversations with people saying, I'm going through a process of deconstruction. And they always say this phrase, I'm deconstructing my faith. And I just don't agree with them. Because what you're talking about with your faith is you're trying to deconstruct Jesus. The problem is you can't deconstruct Jesus. Jesus was a historical figure with historical teachings, with an historical act. You can't really deconstruct him. You're deconstructing religion, and you should. <laughs> Jesus was deconstructing religion. He was tearing it down piece by piece all around him. And we should too. The American evangelical system of which we are still a part. I still tell people we are a non-denominational evangelical church with all the baggage that goes with it. Because I think it's an insane journey to try to separate myself from history because of the problems with that history when I want to associate with the benefits of that history. Instead of recognizing the paradox that the church has done a lot of negative things in this world, generation after generation, because it's filled with humans <laughs> that have yet to become fully saints. You and me. But as they zoom in on the negative, and as you and I tend to do the same, I just want to remind you again about the positives. Because when you deconstruct religion to the point of deconstructing Jesus, you lose a, you lose a lot. Human rights, that's Jesus. That's Christ of Nazareth. Justice, that's Jesus. Saying, I will take wrath in the place of others. And I will speak on behalf of the poor and the oppressed. I will fight for them. The hospital system, health care for all, that's Jesus. It is from faith that the poor and the hurting and the disease were first cared for, that we first said the body matters and blessed and cared for the sick. Throughout the history of every plague, it was the church that ran into the problem, not away from the problem. That's from the resurrected Savior, Jesus. 
So if you deconstruct and lose Jesus, you lose the core of the things that we have learned over time and society and science to value. Science, the value of science was even born from believing that God was the best scientist. Art, God, the best artist. Deconstruct religion every day of the week because you're joining Jesus and doing the same. But don't leave behind Jesus. See, Jesus most frustrated the disciples and he gets frustrated with us because we stand as gatekeepers. We often stand as gatekeepers deciding who has value to be accepted in the presence of the king. He's like, your goal is just to get people in my presence. <laughs> get out of the way. <laughs> That's what I keep hearing from Jesus. That I am his, his image bearer, but I am not the authentic image. I am the cheap knockoff you buy at Broadway and Canal. <laughs> and my presence is never enough to change a person. Well, it changes them. <laughs> Just never in a good way. What I want to do is I just want to get people to Jesus and let Jesus sort it out with them. See, he's frustrated when we become the gatekeepers instead of returning to the goal, which is just getting them right into the front of Jesus. Because when they get into the front of Jesus, they see someone who knows them deeply who loves them. Think of all the stories in the Gospels where Jesus bends to people who are condemned, where he meets the people that are hurting, that are ignored. He stops the crowd's procession and the parade that is celebrating him to go over to the ones that are being ignored. So for every one of you that has felt ignored, the best thing you can do is to meet Jesus. See, we are not gatekeepers. Our goal is just to get people in the presence of our King. And man, it gives us freedom. It gives me so much freedom to not feel like I need to prove to them that a Christian is worthy so they can trust Christ. No, I don't need to prove that. I don't need to make excuses for the church or apologize for the church or even apologize for my own issues. I can acknowledge them and then go, I'm not here because I'm perfect. I'm here because I have a perfect Savior. It's freedom to become like the people that he delights in this story, starting with the parents. See, when we stop viewing ourselves as disciples who are hindrances and become helpers, we're just trying to be like parents to kids. They were just trying to help usher them back into the presence. And for those of you who are parents, I just want you to hear Jesus in this passage as this affirmation of your efforts. Parenting is hard. <laughs> And all you're trying to do is love unconditionally kids that you'd rather conditionally love. <laughs> it's an affirmation of your efforts. But I think in this narrative of parenting, we see a beautiful metaphor of what it takes to try to get people to Jesus. Because the disciples are hindrances, but there's a lot of hindrances in this world of getting people to Jesus. We have the baggage of the church that we discussed in religion. We got a world that wants to diminish the light of Christ to try to shine the bright spotlight on other ideas and identities. We have a lot of hindrances. 
And the goal that we have is one of perseverance and patience to overcome every hindrance. When I became a pastor and moved here to New York City to do full-time ministry and left my job, I thought, man, God's going to bless all of my efforts in witnessing to people that don't know Jesus. And it's just going to be easy, just like it looks in the scriptures. I mean, in the book of Acts, they just proclaim the gospel and people are like, what do I have to do to be saved? And then I started developing relationships here and they're like, they're like what do I have to do to get away from you? And it takes this persevering love that sticks out in the face of people saying, oh, you're a Christian, that must mean duh, 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 duh. And then time and time again, just removing one hindrance after the next. Not that they would consider my ideas, but they might consider Christ. See, he's delighted when we begin to act like parents in this story. Persevering in our love, patiently showing them that Christ always comes back to them, no matter how many times he's rejected, because he keeps coming back to me, no matter how many times I reject him. But ultimately, Jesus shines a spotlight on those he's most delighted in, and it's the children. It's the children. One of the reasons that Jesus was so frustrated with his disciples is because, of, and we read it as a chapter before, but like just a moment before, a day before it says, he's teaching them about the value of being like kids. So Matthew 18 says, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Pause. They were arguing about which of them was the greatest. They were like, who is going to reign next to you? They're arguing about that. And he looks at them like they're complete idiots. And he says, he called a little child to him. He put the child among them. He said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. All right. Here's the challenge for you this Christmas. Become like a child. That's what Jesus says. There is an effort to making Christmas special for you this year just like it is for New York City to make Christmas special for everyone else and for every parent to try to make Christmas special for every child. If Christmas is going to be special, beautiful, powerful, amazing for you, the next few weeks have to be you doing this effort of becoming a child. And it is an effort. It, he's using the language of conversion. That you have to reject your natural tendency towards only becoming an adult, to maintaining your maturity as an adult, and yet the childlikeness that Christ wants. And in so doing, what you're doing is just fi fixing your eyes on Jesus because he is an adult child. He's the perfect adult child. This mature adult that loves and cares for everybody, that can stand in the face of other people telling him what he should or should not do, and just do what his Father in heaven tells him. 
fully grown and yet able to talk to God as Abba, Father, Daddy. That's the invitation. And when you begin to think about the God of the universe and then you, you will always be a child in that analogy. The one who made all things. You are just human size. You're just a child. And that is beautiful and freeing. God doesn't expect you to be more than that. And that's why he says, humble yourself, which is literally emptying yourself of your ego. That's what it means to humble yourself. In contrast, think about your ego. It tells you in pride that you are greater than who you really are and everyone needs to acknowledge it. Or it puts you in a place of shame that says, I'm not enough. I must be more than I am. When God is fully expecting you just to be human size, a child, to be the child that he made you to be and to embrace that. I want you to think about kids and what it looks like for them to just be humble. It's not an effort for them. They are fully who they are. See, the disciples rebuke the parents for bothering Jesus. I don't know a kid that ever thinks they're bothering someone. <laughs> they have to be told they're bothering someone. They just come with their full selves, <laughs> going, why wouldn't we dance to this silly song that gets stuck in my head? Why wouldn't we skip down the streets of New York City? Why wouldn't we do all of these things? Why wouldn't you pay fully attention to me and get on the floor and play a game that is so boring, like Candyland? <laughs> they never feel like they're bothering you. They never had a concept in their mind that they'd be bothering Jesus. But I hear all the time when people talk about, you know, I don't know how to pray. I, I, you know, Jesus is so busy. <laughs> I hear this amongst former Catholics all the time. Jesus is so busy, that's why I talk to his mom. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't have any comments about praying to the Virgin Mary today. But Jesus is never bothered by you. He wants you to come fully as a child to him. When your child is hurting, they're not like, oh, I don't want to bother my mom and dad because, you know, ugh, what are they going to do about it? The child's screaming their head off until you finally pay attention. Some of you need to scream your head off in the face of God until you finally see that your father's there and paying attention. Some of you just need to dance. Dance in the presence of God and recognize He's dancing there with you. That's what the scripture says. He dances over you. But it is an effort to empty yourself of your ego, to not think it's your moral record that allows you to get in the presence of a God who loves you, but to simply receive the love of God. To empty yourself of your ego to think that somehow you could earn his presence 
by how great you followed his will. How great you've obeyed what your father asked of you. Empty yourself of your ego. You're never going to get there. Just be fully human size in the presence of God. Celebrate Christmas like children this year. Every day, try to get into his presence to be fully there in the moment. Last thing I want to say on that, just because I think it's really important in our current moment. One of the things I've noticed about my kids is that they don't get wrapped up in global news. They hear about it, but then they return to what's right in front of them. Anybody need to return to that? And what I mean by that is not turn off the news, don't know what's going on, don't be informed. Just don't get distracted from the beauty of God and the faces of your family and your neighbor and your annoying coworker and your horrible boss. But look for Jesus in that. Israel was waiting for Jesus at Advent in the midst of a horrible situation. This Christmas, we all thought 2021 was going to be better and it's worse. And then Omicron or whatever the heck it's called shows up. And there'll be another one. We are looking and hoping for Jesus in the midst of some horrible situations. But the joy of his coming that first advent was not overshadowed by the horrible situations. The light was more beautiful when it burst forth in the darkness. The shepherds were in awe when angels showed up. See, that's the beauty of childlike faith is that when you see the light, you rejoice. You sing and you delight again. And you receive the gift of Christmas. Let's celebrate Christmas like children again. Sound good? Let's pray that God does that work in us. Jesus, thanks for coming as a child. Thanks for repeatedly shining the spotlight on children. Forgive us when we think that we've matured beyond that state. Thank you for this invitation to just be kids in your presence. Help us to celebrate you this Christmas like children. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.